Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of the Talent Crush Chacho podcast, a show dedicated to discussing the art and culture that we adore and occasionally talking to the people who make it. My name is Christopher Royce. And I'm Stevie Jackson. And uh, what's been going on with you this month, Chris? Um, well, we, to let the listener in on a little bit of behind the scenes, we just had a very long pre-show conversation about yes, flags we did. and cheese and all sorts of things that we probably <laughs> should have recorded. Um, I'm always up for a great cheese conversation. <laughs> uh, but not, not to necessarily relitigate all of the cheese, <laughs> but you know what? People just enjoy some cheese. I guess that's all it is. I'm here from the American Dairy Council to tell you about cheese. No, that's terrible. <laughs> Uh, for the listener, I was asking Chris to please explain to me what American cheese is. Um, it's yeah. American and it's cheese. That's all I know. That seems to be about the size of it. I would recommend just having a nice cheddar instead. And now you're it, up to speed on our conversation. <laughs> Come to think of it, I could have like done research and had something interesting to say about it. That would have been a much better thing to do for a podcast. <laughs> oh, well, too late now. Um, I saw on Twitter recently that you also saw Captain Marvel. I did. Should we talk about a, a super fun movie? I think we should. Um, first of all, it's still breaking records and I think it's brought in like $900 million at the box office. So could we please just once and for all admit that female fronted films make money? I don't know. I'm going to need to see 800 or 900 more examples of that before I green light anything with a lady. Apparently so. Um, yeah, I, th- I just, I thought it was, I thought it was a good, solid superhero movie. Absolutely. Um, I've seen some criticism of it online because, boy, people will criticize everything online. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, no movie is truly perfect. Yeah. Um, but I, I think as superhero movies go, this one's pretty good. She's got a good, solid origin story. Um, it felt for once as though the character sort of needed to be female yeah. as opposed to, because I, I understand about, um, you know, just flipping the gender. Like if you look at the movie salt with Angelina Jolie, Oh yeah. That's a great I think example. That, yeah. That was originally written, I think for Tom Cruise. And then Matt Damon um, was up for it too. And then he passed. And... Yeah. And then without changing anything, except I think the character's first name, cause mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it originally was, but they had to, I think it was like it was Edwin too, or something. It was too manly <laughs> for it to be a woman. Yeah. Um, but they all they did, I think, was changed the first name, mm-hmm. and they cast Angelina Jolie, left everything else the same. And it's it's a great movie. It's I had a lot of fun watching it. I've seen it twice, I think. Yeah. Um, but there's something to be said also for um, women's lives are different. We are yeah. raised differently. We exist in the world differently. And so to have a superhero who exists in that world is is nice and it's something that we don't really get in wonder woman for instance because wonder woman is raised on an island of all women yeah that's the problem with that character is that her like socialization is so unique you know she's basically yeah, like I mean, homeschooled <laughs> so she doesn't get out into the world the way that like carol danvers for example does yeah. And I mean, in some ways, listen, it's idyllic. Mm-hmm. She's never dealt with any sexism ever in her life. And how wonderful would that be? Yeah. Um, but Carol Danvers has, and we get to see sort of flashes of that, of her growing up and what, mm-hmm. what made her who she is. Yeah. Um, so I, I liked that. It's, it's, it's just nice to actually see that kind of journey for once. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting about it was like, trying to think how to encapsulate this so I just don't go on and on and on forever but 
the MCU has done a, re- a really interesting job of finding like tentpole actors to do action movie roles in action movies, but it's also done a really mm-hmm. good job of finding people who wouldn't necessarily fit that particular mold. Like Brie mm-hmm. Larson is an amazing actress and has done a lot of really amazing work, but mostly in sort of indie movies. You've got Room, you've got Short Term 12, or sort of the mm-hmm. big credits that she had before this, um, her own movie. Um, the she Unicorn also had stories um, just coming out. Oh no, go yeah. ahead. She also had she also had Kong Skull Island. Also true, but that's relatively yeah. recent compared to like the bulk of her work. And I yeah, think that it's newer than Unicorn Store, but it's, it's a couple of years old. Yeah. Um, I think there but, was a yeah, different was... casting choice where it's oh, this is more of a blockbuster type of actress. Like even Scarlett Johansson is sort of you know a name in a certain kind of movie. Not that she doesn't yeah. have a tremendous range herself, but I thought that 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 made for a different viewing experience. Well, Brie Larson definitely is not someone I would have seen as an action star before. Yeah. Um, and I, I did see part of an interview with her where she did not see herself that way either and actually really struggled with whether she should take this role or not. Yeah. Um, and in the end decided to take it and, you know, had to do some real training and, and stuff to physically get to a place where she was believable Yeah. as Captain Marvel. Uh, which, you know, I, I respect, you know, but, and there's acting, you you do sometimes have to do that. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely, I mean, she talked about sort of finding the, the facial expression, like the neutral facial expression that Captain Marvel would have that is different from her own and finding that that's part of acting anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is there's an element of physicality in some roles. Yes. Where because some sometimes the physicality does not so much matter, um, <laughs> and sometimes it does. I mean, if you're playing a superhero, you need it needs to be believable that you are that strong. Yes. So if we see you in your superhero uniform and you look super strong, and then you take it off and put a t-shirt on, and you've got these super scrawny arms that couldn't lift <laughs> a cardboard box, that's not believable. So you do have to go to the gym and lift some weights and build some muscle, and she did that. Yes. Um, I think another actually really good example uh, of that, also from Marvel, is Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Because that's, again, someone I would not have thought of previously as an action hero type of person. Absolutely. Um, and who, you know, was before Jessica Jones was really, and, and it's like, she's very tall. Like she's one of those tall, skinny girls. Like she's, I think she's 5'9 <laughs> or 5'10 and sort of naturally very willowy. And when she got the role of Jessica Jones, she put on something like 20 pounds of muscle to make that believable yeah. because she has to be believable as a strong person and it worked yeah um yeah i'm sad that show's ending by the way it's got one more season and then it's going to be over which is really too bad yeah definitely um, too bad um just to jump back to the physicality real quick i was struck by the way just the way that brie larson stands in that movie when she stands still it reminded me a yeah. lot of chris evans as captain america and just mm-hmm. the way that he sort of like Again, not quite sure how to frame what I'm thinking or how to phrase what I'm thinking, but the way he fills the frame of a shot and just like this is a person with muscles who knows how to use them. And, you know, I, having been someone who's not a weightlifter, but I ran cross country and track and played soccer for many years, like, and mm-hmm. you're sort of used to like evaluating your opponents and, you know, do I think this person can beat me in this particular race? Like sort of get used to what someone looks like when they have muscles and know how to use them. Well, it's, it's a power stance for Absolutely. sure. Um, and it's, I mean, there's, 
there's a collaboration to them, say, filling the shot because, yeah. of course, there's a cinematographer who frames oh, that up course, and there's a director who works with them mm-hmm. and storyboards that and decides what we want the shot to look like. Now, the actor mm-hmm. does need to be aware of how wide their frame is and where the camera is. There is there's a technical side to film and television acting that I think totally. people who aren't in the business don't really know about. Mm-hmm. Um There's a famous example, uh, which is funny because we were talking about this show off mic a minute ago, Um, but a famous example of watching uh, technical aspects of acting in progress is if you watch uh, Friends, Mm -hmm. particularly in the first few seasons, you will notice that Jennifer Aniston, who plays Rachel, seems to uh, sort of pick a lot of lint off her clothes. Oh, does she? Here and there. Like, she'll just sort of, and it's, it's subtle, but it's... Like, as she's walking around, she'll sort of, you know, pull off a fluffy and um, (laughs) what she's actually doing, and she's talked about this, uh, is looking for her mark on the floor. It gave her a natural excuse to look down without it it being obvious that she was looking down um, and allowed her to find her mark. Um, another example that's been talked about, you can, you can verify this people, I'm not making it up. Um, the first season, and again, particularly the first few episodes of Gilmore Girls, Mm -hmm. you will notice that Lauren Graham, who plays Lorelai is, uh, grabbing onto Alexis Bledel, who plays her daughter, Rory quite a lot. Like she often sort of pulls her over or puts her arm around her and walks with her that way. And the reason for that was that was Alexis Bedell's first on camera role. Oh, so she, she wasn't. Was... <laughs> that's Lauren helping Alexis find her mark. That's amazing. Yeah. That's Lauren making sure that Alexis is where she needs to be in the shot. So they don't have to do it over. That's so fascinating. Cause I would have assumed that that was like an acting choice that they had talked about with the director nope. and like, this nope. is part of your character that she's nope. just a huggy person or, you know, what have you. But it works. Mm-hmm. It works because the, the characters have that close relationship yeah. of being a mother or daughter and also because of their severe lack of age difference, also being best <laughs> friends. Um, because the, the story, for anyone who doesn't know Gilmore Girls, the whole point of it is that Lorelai was only a teenager when she had her daughter, and now her daughter's a teenager. So you have a 32-year-old mother and a 16-year-old daughter who are wow. best friends as well as being mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not kidding about the severe lack of age difference. Yeah. But because they're written as these very close friends slash mom and daughter, mm-hmm. it 100% works every single time Lauren does it. And if she hadn't revealed in interviews that that's what she was doing, I wouldn't know. Yeah. I only know because I think both Lauren and Alexis have talked about it, that <laughs> Alexis was just, she was so inexperienced that finding her mark or walking, you know, toward camera or whatever was something she wasn't used to. And so that's Lauren helping her out and making sure that she's where she needs to be so they can get the scene done um, in a that's loving great. way. Yeah. <laughs> it it wasn't like, oh, God damn, this actress doesn't know where anything is. <laughs> it was It was very much like, you'll learn, let me help you while you do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's very much a technical aspect to acting and, and we see some of it in Brie Larson in, as you said, the way she stands and the way shots are framed. And it's, there's a whole side that, that people don't think about. And some of it is taught in school and some of it isn't. So depending on when and where you went to acting school and how much acting for film you took, you may have been taught about marks and how to hit them. Yeah. Or you may not have been, especially if you went to something that was primarily a theater school. So you would know, for instance, I mean, obviously there are marks in theater as well. There's blocking, there are places you need to be. Yeah. But it's not as exact for the most part as it is in film because it's, 
it's as simple on, on film. A shot can be so close that something as simple as leaning, putting your weight on one leg or on the yeah. wrong leg can, can take you out of frame or mess up a shot. Yeah. I've seen um, like YouTube videos yeah. dissecting like depth of fields in directing mm-hmm. and like how your shots can be so precise that if somebody, like you're saying, if you lean the wrong way, it throws yeah. off the whole, now you're not where you're supposed to be. The yeah. whole thing. And they'll stop you if they have to and say, can you please plant your feet and stand on both of them? Or can you lean on your right instead of your left? Or, And uh, because of the way, so when, when a theater production is blocked, it's all done ahead of time and it's kind of all done together. You know, sure. we do table work for a while and then we get it on its feet and we try things out and we eventually we settle on blocking and that's what the blocking is. In film and TV, it works much faster. You block it on the day. You block it right before you shoot it. So... It's generally, unless there's something technical where you need to be in a certain place for a certain reason, like you block it with the director, you decide who's going to be where, you run it a couple of times, and then you shoot it. Yeah. So it's it's all done right then. Um, so it is to some extent, you, depending on the size of your role, you might even <laughs> get a little bit of a say about where you're supposed to be. Or it's also just done to like, if this actor tends to lean to their left when they're standing, if they tend to put more weight on their left leg. Mm-hmm. You frame them that way because that's what they did in the rehearsal. If now when we film it, they lean to their right, like now they're maybe blocking something in the field behind them or (laughs) there. So you might have to say, excuse me, Joe, could you, (laughs) could you do what you did when we blocked it? Because you're in the way now. Yeah. Yeah, Joe is a fictional person. I just made up. (laughs) (laughs) No disrespect to any actor's name, Joe. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is just another in the like incredibly long list of reasons why it really should be considered such a miracle when a movie gets made that is good. Cause there's just so many yeah. of these things that, I mean, me as a, an avid film fan, I still don't even know all the little teeny tiny things that a professional would have to know at all these stages mm-hmm. of the process to like, then you go to a movie and you pop down your 15 bucks. You're like, yeah, it was okay. Like, you know what? You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many people worked on this thing? Listen, it's a miracle when a film gets made, period. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's a bigger miracle when it gets made and it's bad. Because <laughs> you have no idea how much worse it was <laughs> in the making. It's a, it's a miracle they had something to cut together. Um, but yeah, I guess we should, we've been going for a bit here. We should get into our main uh, segment here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shall we tell the people what it is? Uh, do you want to tell them? Because cool, 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 cool. That's what I was trying to elicit. That's why it got awkward because I was trying to like push push a button. If you haven't guessed, friends, we're talking about Brooklyn Nine Nine. Nine Nine. Yeah, I wanted to make you do that. Success. Uh, yeah, Chris and I had quite a chat, mm-hmm. um, that you're about to listen to about our love for the, uh, the series Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I don't know why I paused on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's podcasting. It's professional show business. We pause and we don't know why. <laughs> it's going great, you guys. <laughs> and it's about to go even greater. <laughs> Uh, Is there anything we need to tell the people before we just jump right into the segment? I think it's time to jump. All right, let's go. So 
a while ago, several episodes at least, I can't remember when, we threatened all of y'all, our delightful listeners, with a Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode. <laughs> and congratulations, we've all lived to see it. <laughs> I like that you refer to it as a threat. <laughs> That's my recollection, is that it was a threat. I like to think of it as a promise. I'm not prepared to uh, <laughs> to say that there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. We so might need to have our... a conversation <laughs> about the difference between a threat and a promise. That can happen off the air. <laughs> okay. Friends, I'm worried about Chris. He doesn't know the difference between a threat and a promise. So this is going to be a spoilery discussion of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So mm -hmm. just be warned if uh, this is a show you've been meaning to get into, uh, go ahead and do that because you definitely should. We love the crap out of it and everybody who works on it. And it's a show that is not only like a fun half hour sitcom -y kind of show, but also has some stuff to say. And mm -hmm. we're going to talk about some of that. But mm -hmm. as we're recording this, uh, season six, episode 10 has just aired and we may spoil anything and everything from everything up until that point. So you are, you are now warned. So yes. turn it off or you know, keep going <laughs> at your own peril. If you're not up to date, to that point, you might want to turn this off. Now, by the time we drop this, um, probably another couple of episodes will have aired. Yeah. Um, so just, just to be absolutely clear on what episode you should remember, if you don't want to be spoiled, it's the one with Ike Barinholtz. Yep. And, okay. uh, and whatever the hell's going on with Sarge's eyebrows. <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> So here we go. This is your, your last chance to uh, jump off the train because here we go towards Spoiler Town. Sorry, not sorry. That's terrible, but we're going to keep going. <laughs> I like to call it Spoilerville. You would. I don't know what <laughs> that means. Uh, so let's right at the top do a quick summation. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, as I just mentioned, is in its sixth season. It was on one station for a while, and now, or one network, pardon me, for a while, and now it's on another. It was on Fox. It's now on NBC. I know what they are. I was trying to breeze through this. Don't interrupt me with facts. Why? <laughs> You're in the middle of reciting facts. How dare you? Yeah, I'm just saying. So it was created by a uh, friend of the show, Mike Shore, <laughs> someone we talk about a lot. <laughs> Hopefully we will get to talk to at some point in the future. I feel like Chris wishes that we were friends with Mike Schur, but we I'm are I'm just not. trying to manifest our friends <laughs> of the show. The more we talk about people, the more likely it is. That's not a real thing. I don't believe in that. I don't think that works that way, but no. we enjoy Mike Schur's work. Mm -hmm. And uh, if by some miracle he is listening to this and would like to come on and talk to us about his work, <laughs> he is more than welcome anytime. Uh, but it was created with Mr. Shore alongside Dan Gore. And the main cast, we'll just run through real quick here because mm -hmm. they're in front of me and I'm going to read them. Andy Samberg as Jake Peralta, Stephanie Beatriz as Rosa Diaz, Terry Cruz as Terry Jeffords, Melissa Fumero as Amy Santiago, Joe Latrulio as Charles Boyle, Chelsea Peretti as Gina Linetti, Andre Brower as Captain Ray Holt, Dirk Blocker as Hitchcock, and Joel McKinnon-Miller as Scully. Do, do Hitchcock and Scully have first names? I think they do, but they're almost never said. Uh, they are, uh, I'm scrolling, Michael Hitchcock and Norm Scully. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure they've ever been said. I feel like we heard Hitchcock's first name at some point, maybe. Yeah, they may have referred to each other that way, but they seem to be like mononyms <laughs> most yeah, of the time. Yeah, yeah. They definitely go by their last names in a way that no one else does. 
Yeah, I don't know when in the development of the show they actually had first names. Like, it might have been season four or something before anybody Maybe. bothered to yeah. give them first names. It might even have been... This season, there was an episode where we flashed back to earlier in their careers and we met young Hitchcock and Scully. I loved that episode. And it, I wonder if it was then. It could have been. That would yeah. require more research than we have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to let you all in on the behind-the-scenes process, there hasn't <laughs> been a big one for this episode. <laughs> well, we watch this show fairly um, enthusiastically and frequently, and I, I don't—I didn't feel like we needed to do a ton of uh, build a giant dossier. <laughs> no. Um, well, you've just done a full, intense rewatch not that long ago. That's true. Um, I have seen the whole thing. I've—I've I've revisited it on. Netflix. Um, I've probably seen most episodes twice at some point, mm-hmm. but I, I did not do a super intense rewatch the way that you did. So uh, your memories, for the most part, will be a little bit fresher than mine, <laughs> I would imagine. Well, to be fair, I don't know how intense it was. I wasn't like you know doing push-ups in the dark while I watched it or something. It was no, you were ordinary... intently watching the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it was an ordinary rewatch. Okay, <laughs> but no, I guess I guess they. Probably what you're referring to is I watched the whole five seasons at that point in like a month. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> um, but for anyone completely unfamiliar, one thing we have not yet said is that uh, this is a sitcom about a police precinct. So yeah. Brooklyn Nine-Nine refers to them being in the 99th precinct in Brooklyn. So it's a cop show, mm-hmm. um, but it's a comedy cop show. Yeah, and I believe that's a uh, fictional precinct, like the 27th in Law & Order. I, don't know I if assume, there's a real nine yeah. Nine. Uh, I have not looked that up, but yes, I assume that, that the 9-9 is a fictional precinct. Yeah, typically you can't uh, do stuff like that in a place where people actually work for legal reasons. Yeah, I know there's some stuff that you have to be careful about. I know that things like clearing names, for instance. Um, so if there yeah. were a real cop with any of these names in New York, they would have to change the name. Mm-hmm. Um, other shows have run into that with doctors and nurses. And in fact, that's why on on many medical shows <laughs> doctors have really boring names yeah like that that's why the name mark green keeps showing up because <laughs> it's so common that you can't be accused of libel yeah well i think they actually I'm, in the most recent time i've heard a professional talk about this is when mark evan jackson spoke about it on the good place podcast not with regard specifically to brooklyn 99 but mm-hmm. the idea of clearing names yeah like if your name is so specific you're sure no other living human has it you can use it or it can be so general that there are so many people that it couldn't possibly refer to any one of them then you can use it there was something some standard like that it's generally it's like that there there have been some sort of quasi famous examples of it um the X-Files once had to change the name of a nurse character because even though it was quite a common name, there was a nurse in that state with that name and the name they intended to use. And so they couldn't clear it and they had to rename the character. Uh, and then the, the best known example I think is probably uh, from the meet the parents movies, oh, really? which was more a case of having to prove that the name existed because the, the studio didn't want them to call the family Fokker. Yeah. Uh, F-O-C-K-E-R. And in order to be allowed to use that name, and, and this is why I'm, it's not necessarily that it's so specific that no one has it, because that was a case where it was very specific, and you would think 
it's made up and no one has it. Yeah. And the studio actually used that against them and said, you can't, you can't call it the family Fokker. We all know what it sounds like. <laughs> and so uh, they had to go on a search to find people with that name and prove that it was a real ass name. And they did find them. I can't remember where they were, but I know it was in Canada. They did find oh, a funny. family in Canada with that name, with that spelling, and were able to prove, Ben Stiller was able to prove that, yes, this is a real name. And so they were allowed to use it. So definitely some stuff goes goes into that. But there, I think we can be fairly sure that there is not, for instance, a police officer by the name of Amy Santiago in Manhattan or they, yeah. or, or in New York, I should say, in Brooklyn or any, any of the boroughs of New York um, because they wouldn't then have been allowed to call Melissa Fumero's character Amy Santiago. Yeah, that's reasonable. Um, and I would say, talking about my rewatch, uh, since you sort of provided me with a segue, and as you mm-hmm. like to point out, I like to point out the segues. You really do. It's I, your it's, thing. It's, it's my thing and or a character flaw. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> anyway, segue away. She really stuck out to me in my uh, recent rewatch. Um, just her, like, general watchability and humor. And I think that watching that season the first time, Sandberg was the person I knew the best coming off of SNL. And you sort mm-hmm. of look at that show, or at least I don't, I don't want to speak generically because I'm sure other people had a different experience. But me watching that show for the first time, it seemed like a vehicle for a former SNL player. And we all know there's lots of movies and TV shows. Somebody leaves SNL and they go on to do something and it's because it's built for them. And Lauren Michaels is executive producing it. And that's a fairly common thing, Mm -hmm. but watching it a second time, having seen the show for five years, you know, you sort of get to know the other, I, I was focusing more on the other performances than Andy's just because those are characters that I now know better and performers that I know better and have seen Mm. in other things along the way. And so Melissa and um, Stephanie Beatriz are just like incredible actresses who I, in my own mind, hopefully not out loud, did not really give their due the first time around because Mm. I was sort of focusing on the familiar faces. It definitely uh, felt like an Andy Samberg vehicle vehicle to me, but the standout for me from the beginning was actually Andre Brower. Yeah. Because I was only familiar with him as a dramatic actor. Interesting. I'd never seen him do comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, perhaps he had. I don't claim to be a longtime massive <laughs> fan of Mr. Brower who paid attention to every single thing he did. I, I didn't. So maybe he's always had a balance. Um, but in in my memory, what he was best known for and what I remembered him from was Homicide Life on the Street. Yeah. Which was not a comedy. <laughs> and um, so I I was used to him as a dramatic actor, so it was a bit of a revelation for me in the best way to find out how funny he is. Yeah. Um, and he's he's definitely still one of my very favorite characters. Um, but I, I will also say I paid attention to the women from the beginning, and I think this might also be a bit of a gender thing. Well, <laughs> yeah, because as, as the straight white dude, I'm going to want to naturally, without even paying attention with, to it, identify with a straight white dude. And so and you have as to a woman, sort of, I naturally will identify with the female characters. Exactly. So um, I have to, it's sort of incumbent upon me to pay attention to the other performers and the other characters rather than have the show sort of twist your arm into seeing their points of view. Well, and I think this show in particular does a really good job of being an ensemble and of giving everybody lots to do. And no, nobody is a stock character. Yeah. Um, everybody is sort of full of 
surprises. And I mean, I, to take Amy, for instance. Yeah. So uh, Amy is very, very type A. She loves binders and she knows which <laughs> ones are the good tabs and which ones are the bad tabs. And she gets very excited about any kind of organization or spreadsheets or, and she's, she's a bit of a, a bit of a brown noser when it comes to pleasing bosses and she wants to be mentored by her boss. And she, mm-hmm. you know, that's all very, yeah. very, very type A. And, but then quite early on, we learn about, you know, one drink, Amy, two drink, Amy, three drink, Amy, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All the way up to we, seven. Yeah. And we find out, I mean, I think there, I think there's, the beach house episode where we Mm -hmm. try to meet seven drink Amy just to find out who that is. Yeah. (laughs) And so we find out that she does let her hair down at times when she does relax, she can be quite interesting. I, I kind of wish I'd looked up. I'm sure someone has made a website of which, which Amy is, which, but they're sort of like, Oh, three drink Amy is sloppy (laughs) Four drink. Amy is (laughs) like her personality changes with the level of alcohol in her blood. Um, yeah. uh, but we, yeah, that that's something that, that is, it seems antithetical to who she is. And yet it makes all the sense in the world because when someone is that tightly wound, yeah, there's got to be a release valve. And that's, that's an easy trap to fall into. I will say with that character in the first season is to sort of see her as like, oh, this is like a Leslie Nope police officer character. And that's obviously mm-hmm. like binders is a thing they have in common, but that's so much more, pardon me, that's such an undervaluing of both of those characters. I, yeah, so I think they actually have a lot in common. I think they're, mm-hmm. they're very much personality neighbors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, you know, a- Amy Poehler as Leslie Nope also, yeah, has that very type A organization binder mm-hmm. thing. Although hers is a little bit more uh, joyful. Yeah. Um, but also, Leslie Nope, when she's depressed, Leslie Nope, when she's drunk, Leslie Nope, when she gets waffles, is Absolutely. kind of a different, a different person. And yeah, I think those two characters to me are kind of, not to say they're the same, I think that also would be doing a disservice to both those characters and those actresses and the writers. Exactly. But I think they're very much cut from the same cloth. So mm-hmm. I, I like to think of them as personality neighbors. I like do feel like similar types. Amy would enjoy a good Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, I think I'm surprised <laughs> she hasn't tried to do it with Rosa. <laughs> um, and but yeah, I think I think if those two characters were to exist in the same universe, which they I, they probably do because uh-huh. it's different cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you if they were to meet, I think they would really get along. Absolutely. I think that that Leslie would be so excited to mentor Amy. Mm-hmm. And Amy would be so excited to allow it to happen. I absolutely think a Valentine's <laughs> Day would happen immediately, even if it didn't happen to be February thirteenth. Um, yeah, I think, I I think those two characters would would be very good friends. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, and that's unfortunately something we may not get to see. Although I would love to see a, you know, just a. a a cameo by some parks character or, or something, Amy, or, you know, there's plenty of other people, mm-hmm. even though there have been tons of like cast crossover between well, the various sure universe shows. That's why it maybe won't happen. Yeah. And that's why, cause you know, if they exist in the same universe, then how do you explain Kevin Cosner, um, as Captain Holt's, husband uh-huh. and also trevor the lawyer in parks twin brothers with different last names separated at birth okay maybe 
Uh, Wait, no, what we're alluding out. to Orphan here. Black style cloning operation. Maybe. But what we're alluding to here, for anyone who hasn't caught on, is that once again, our friend Mark Evan Jackson is in this show. Uh-huh. He plays Captain Raymond Holt's husband, mm-hmm. Kevin Cosner, not Costner, Cosner, <laughs> which is a brilliant name. Um, and he he tends to turn up in Mike Schur's shows. So we've done Parks and Rec. We've mm-hmm. done The Good Place. He's in both of those. He's also a recurring character in this one. And so that's that's where I question, well, can this all be the same universe? Because I can figure out The Good Place. Maybe Sean just picked a body. Yep. And it happened to be that one. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure how you reconcile Kevin and Trevor, unless you make them long-lost twins. Or just, you know, it maybe doesn't matter that much, and I would just love to see Mark acting against Mark in a scene. <laughs> Like, do, <laughs> like do Tatiana Maslany to... style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, do, can can we just say like hand wavy? It's TV. Let's just do something ridiculous. Maybe. I just think that would be fun to have yeah. to have a scene where it's Mark Evan Jackson on one side and Mark Evan Jackson on the other side, and what happens? I I don't know that it matters. I mean, obviously it matters yeah. because you have a really good show. It has to be written well. It can't just be what I'm saying, which is ridiculousness. But I, I think we're more likely to see a scene like that on The Good Place. Um, Fair. But I, I would recommend that we try to save most of the Mark Evan Jackson talk for when, I don't know, we invite him to come be on the podcast. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I just don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. So, that's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't need any more rabbits. We have plenty of rabbits. <laughs> um... Is there anybody else in the primary cast that you wanted to get to? Or oh, I don't know, God, yeah. I want to talk about Rosa a little bit. What I meant to say, podcasting professional over here, who do you mm-hmm. want to talk about next in the primary <laughs> cast? Rosa. Okay, let's talk about Rosa. Um, because I think Rosa is sort of, she's the opposite of Amy in many ways. Like she, mm-hmm. she has some of the same contradictions, but in reverse. So Rosa is sort of the leather jacket wearing lower register speaking tough mm-hmm. girl yeah. who also you know happens to have taken years of ballet and gymnastics <laughs> she's got many many layers it's fascinating yeah. to watch how they keep adding stuff to that character and mm-hmm. it never seems you know there's always a sense of like yeah i guess that seems about right mm-hmm. well and because they've really made a thing of like nobody really knows rosa like every time she has people over she then immediately moves mm-hmm. every apartment of roses we've ever seen has been completely different and it's uh-huh. We hear about it before it ever happens. We hear, you know, no one knows where she lives. And she makes a point of not letting people know where she lives. And there's a joke, I think pretty early on about, but hasn't Amy been to your place? And she says, oh, yeah, I moved the next day. Yeah. And she means it. And she has, periodically, people come over and she, then she moves. And she's in a different apartment every time. Like, they've really, um, they've really leaned into that joke. <laughs> And I think there was also sort of a throwaway joke somewhere in season one or two of like, I was either Andy or Joe saying like, all I know for sure is that your name is Rosa Diaz. And she responds something like, do you? So like, maybe that isn't even her name. It may not be. We don't know. Although she did, if it's not, we'd have to explain how she made it onto the police force. Well, and also her parents don't seem to have a problem with her being named that, assuming they're her real parents. Yes, that's true. We have met her parents, and they do seem to be the Diaz's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or so they claim. So they claim. Um, I would say, while we're on the 
subject of Rosa for a moment. The yeah. um, episode that they did, they, they've done a few, like, I hate to phrase it this way because it sounds pejorative and I don't mean it that way, but sort of quote unquote very special episodes mm-hmm. of Brooklyn Line On where they've done sort of a little bit more topical, like let's actually talk about something that's happening in culture as opposed to just like joke machine episodes. Mm-hmm. And they did a really amazing episode with her parents and coming out to them. Yeah. And I just thought that that was sort of a fascinating thing for a comedy show to like, yeah, let's let's saddle up and take this on and still try to make it funny. Well, here's what I think is interesting about Brooklyn Nine-Nine in that vein, because they just did this season. They just did sort of their uh, Me Too episode, if you will. Yeah. Where we learn about um, Amy's Me Too experience. And they took some flack online and particularly from um from slate.com about mm-hmm. you know they they did a good job of this and they've kind of done this kind of thing in the past and why did it take them so long to get to it yeah um and that drove me crazy because i thought the thing is they do it all the time yeah um and yeah you could say there are as, as you said a handful of of very special episodes where it's sort of more the focus of it where it's but the a story yeah, but if you look through Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they've been dealing with this kind of stuff all along. Yeah. Um, we hear a lot about how hard it's been for Captain Holt to get to where he is as yeah. a black gay policeman mm-hmm. coming up in, as far as we can tell from the flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> the 70s and 80s, I guess. The 70s, 80s, 90s, right? Or may- mm-hmm. Well, 80s, 90s, maybe. I don't know how much... Not, I'm not sure of Andre Brower's age, but I'm not. I don't. I don't know how much of the '70s he would have been a full-on yeah. adult police this officer. This is the thing in. we can just fact check while we talk. Uh, yeah, he was and we, born in '62, so if we yeah. assume the characters the same age, he would have been 18 in 1980. So yeah, yeah. Let's say so it's 80, '80s and '90s probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we but we hear about that all the time, and he m- often makes decisions based on that, and sometimes he's right, and sometimes. He's yeah. wrong. Like when when Terry, is, I don't remember what season, maybe you'll remember, but mm-hmm. there's an episode, and I'll get back to Rose's coming out, but there's an episode yeah. um, when Terry is in his neighborhood at night. Jake and Amy were looking after his twin girls, and mm-hmm. at some point they dropped a toy belonging yeah. to one of the girls, and she can't sleep without it. And so Terry goes outside to look for it, and he's, you know, dressed in casual clothes. He left his badge in the house because he's just going down the street trying to find this. I think it's a bunny. It's something um, like that, yeah. And he gets, he finds it, and he gets stopped by another police officer mm-hmm. who immediately questions what he's doing in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and ends up arresting him because yep. Terry just, you know, very reasonably saying, I live here, and, and not being at all belligerent about it, but being a little bit like, hey, dude, come on, I live here. Yeah. Um, gets taken as aggression by this if it's not obvious, white police officer <laughs> yeah. who then arrests him because he can't prove that he's a cop and won't let him go home and grab his badge. And, yeah. and he like, that's, that's the storyline of that episode. And Captain Holt urges him at first not to report it because he's afraid of the repercussions. Yeah. And then in the end, of course they, they think it through and times have changed and they do report it so that that dude gets taught a lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also see, you know, when, when he confronts the cop who arrested him about it, the cop's reaction of sort of like, 
well, I'm sorry that was your experience rather than, yeah, I'm sorry I was a racist asshole. Yeah. It is, is a very telling thing. And that goes on all the time. So, and that's, I mean, I feel like that was season two or three. I'm so, pretty sure it was season three. And that was definitely on my list of things I wanted to talk about because in my rewatch, it felt like the first of the sort of very special episodes, the time when they took a topic and made it an A story of like, we're going to actually maybe. confront this issue as opposed to it just being sort of like a part of one character's journey. That's ongoing. Like this was a thing that happened to someone. Yeah. But I feel like the fact that there's been a through line of these kinds of things, Absolutely. like we've heard the whole time about the prejudice yeah. that Holt has faced. Um, and also, you know, we, we see a, a little bit of, weirdness around the fact that he has a husband and around that like sure. it's that to me that's been a through line so they don't to me they don't feel so much like very special episodes the way or they don't stand yeah. out in the same way that they would on another show where it's like oh clearly we're having an after school special moment because i feel like brooklyn 99 does a really good job of of integrating that through and then yeah every once in a while they will sort of focus on something and i and i also like that they don't necessarily immediately wrap it up. So to get back to yeah. Rosa's episode where Rosa yes. comes out as bisexual and has a, has a hard time telling her parents mm-hmm. and manages to tell them and they don't believe her and they think it's a phase. And I am not sure how old Rosa is, but I'm going to say early thirties, probably I, early. If we mid. assume the characters are all about the same ages as the actors who portray them, then yeah. Yeah. I don't know people's birthdays, but I'm going to guess that Stephanie Beatrice is in her thirties somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I could look it up. I'm not going to, but, uh, <laughs> You know, that's by that point, that's not a phase. And in fact, yeah. it's generally not a phase. Generally, yeah. you know, that's just everybody sort of figures out their sexuality in sort of the, the puberty area of their lives. <laughs> and it just continues to be like you don't contrary to apparently popular belief on the Internet, you don't turn gay. <laughs> You don't turn by. You just always were. You might realize it about yourself or decide to tell people, yeah. but it's it's not or, or just or stop lying about it or whatever. Yeah. But you've always felt that way. You may not have known why. Um, in Rosa's case, I think we find out that she did know why. And she's known this about herself for a very long time and is only now because I think because she's dating someone mm-hmm. is only now revealing it like she's come to the point where she has to tell people. Yeah. But I, what I liked about it was that, you know, they did do the thing that's often done where the parents don't accept it. And we get that moment. And, and that happens to a lot of people who come out. Some people are lucky enough not to have that experience. You have parents who just accept it right away, even if they're uncomfortable with it or like, but you're still our kid and we're going to get our minds around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people are just accepting from the get go, but they chose to go with the whole, like, this is not right. But then later in that episode, we find her dad comes back to yeah. talk to her. And Danny she says, where's, yeah, where's mom? Mom needs more time. And yeah. I thought that it was a, a realistic portrayal. Like, it's hard to see the disappointment that Rosa goes through in that. Yeah. In, you know, her parents not initially not accepting it and then accepting it, but uncomfortably. Like, that's a hard place to be because this is not something that Rosa has any control over and doesn't change the least thing about who she is. She always was this person. You just know now, but actually nothing about her has changed. Yeah. Like really nothing. She's exactly the same person she was five minutes ago. 
but so it's it's rough to see that but it's also realistic to what a lot of people go through and i think that that probably overall does more of a service in terms of representation than if she just came out and it was fine because for a lot of people especially you know kids who come out and are still dependent on their parents and living with them that's not the case yeah you know well and i I really enjoyed about the show that they didn't wrap it up, like you were saying, but mm-hmm. that through line keeps going. I mean, to say it's paid off isn't accurate, but the next time that there's an episode that features Rose's parents, the, her mom still isn't over it. Like, it's yeah. still a thing yeah. that they're dealing with. Yeah. Like, the show is serialized in that sense of, like, the, the characters' lives keep going even mm-hmm. when they're off screen. You know, we don't meet back up with the mom and everything's hunky-dory again. Yeah. Like, no, well, this is still something we're all going through. I mean, most sitcoms are serialized in in that, you know, what happened before happened. Like, there is a timeline. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so it's it's always strange to me when someone say, oh, it's episodic, it's not serialized when it's a show like this because episodic yeah. sitcoms are serialized. Yes. A true... A true non-serialized episodic thing would be like an anthology where there's That's no true. true line. So, yeah, of course, it's... it's and it's, This one, though, is fairly heavily serialized mm-hmm. in that they do... Threads do carry through. Like you said, they don't, they don't do something and then drop it. It remains part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing I'm always looking for in a show is that the world feels... I hear the term lived in a lot, mm-hmm. and I don't always like feel that term personally, but the idea that the characters still exist when the show's not on, you know, like mm. just because you don't see somebody like I'm trying to think, I remember noticing this watching reruns of sports night a million years ago when I was in school mm-hmm. uh, in the dorms and the characters referred to things that happened that we didn't as the audience ever see, like right. something happened between episode 17 and 18 and they mm-hmm. made reference to it. And I was like, whatever, 20 or something at the time and just starting to think about these things in a creative sense. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, of course they have to have lives and we have to have the sense that they have lives and things happen and they can't just reference what happened in the previous episode because then that means that these characters only exist when the cameras are on. And that's not what good storytelling is. Yeah, I, th- I think that's just good writing. Yeah. If it's, if it's written that in such a way that you know that stuff has happened between episodes. Yeah. Unless you have one that really has no time skip. Honestly, um, if you're watching 24, but, that's a different TV show. <laughs> yeah, that's different, right? But most, I would guess most episodic shows assume that something happens in between the episodes, if they're Absolutely. well written. Yeah. Otherwise, at the beginning of every episode, we would see everybody in the same place they were at the end of the last episode. Yeah. In the same room, in the same clothes, like no time is. <laughs> Past. And exactly. we mostly don't. So, yeah, something must have. And even if it was just their day to day lives, like, oh, nothing really special happened because, you know, the fun stuff only happens Thursday at nine. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> it's, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's just good writing that that the characters are fleshed out enough that you assume they have lives that yeah, continue exactly. to go on. Although I admit I don't. I'm not thinking about what Jake Peralta is doing between episodes. <laughs> it has <laughs> never fair. once occurred to me <laughs> to think about him when I wasn't watching him on television. <laughs> you don't ever think about Nicolaj? I do not. Nicolaj. <laughs> Nicolaj. That's, that's one of my favorite running gags is there seems to be no correct way to pronounce that name. Well, and they, they're all saying it the same way every time. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the greatest part. Like it's, yeah, there is no difference between the way... Uh, Boyle says Nicolaj and Nicolage. the way that Jake says Nicolaj. 
Nicolaj. And yet somehow Jake is always wrong. Nicolaj. Mm-hmm. No, it's Nicolaj. No, this, Nicolaj. This week's episode where Ike comes on and is correcting Charles. <laughs> that was great. Yes. <laughs> and that was a great sort of, again, the persistence of the world. This mm-hmm. is, as long as the show runs, there will be somebody being corrected about how to pronounce the name Nicolaj. Nicolaj. <laughs> Nicolaj. <laughs> but, you know, this is another example of uh, a very special episode. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was adoption. Yeah. And it's wrapped up in comedy. But Charles has a very, you know, heartfelt pondering of whether or not he's his son's real dad. Yeah. And, you know, not not necessarily wanting the birth father involved or wanting Nicolaj to meet him at all because, you know, that's his father. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's some really nice stuff between Boyle and Jake that deals with that. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not adopted. My parents are my birth parents. Um, yeah. But the friends I've had who are, some of them have struggled with that. With, yeah. you know, have two, two families and two sets of parents and... It, it was an interesting thing because I remember thinking at some point during the episode, Nicolaj was four when he came to live with Charles. Yeah, I don't know that they've been totally faithful to the age chronology. <laughs> well, no, I think they were because they referred to him as eight. And if you do the math, like now he's eight. Oh, really? So if you do okay. the math, yeah, he is. But so what, what I thought about there is like, but so he might actually remember his oh, birth sure. family. Yeah. Like four is a nebulous time. But he was with them long enough mm-hmm. to have some memory. And they yeah. they didn't play him recognizing his father. Yeah. But they could have. But I thought that was that also was an interesting consideration for Charles. Because it's not if he'd raised him from from infancy, yeah. then there's no relationship. And you can sort of set the terms of that relationship if you're going to allow one. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've had him since he was four, like if you adopted him at four and for the first four years he lived with this man yeah. or at least knew this man, there's a relationship there. And it, you know, how much of that does he remember? Well, my recollection was that there was an orphanage or an agency or something in between. That I think there was. They yeah. got him from, but yeah, I mean, I think that, like, obviously, that's a really heavy-duty thing. What constitutes a, quote-unquote, real parent versus a biological parent or what have mm-hmm. you. But I think my favorite part of this particular episode was that Charles did most of his emotional arc in the third act off-screen. He because, did a lot of it, yeah. Because comedy, to a certain mm-hmm. extent. So he shows up at the end having reconciled the, you know, uh, Ike's character's place in his son's world. Yeah. <laughs> but it turns out Jake has screwed something up for comedy. And so that is the A story. But I, I liked that moment when Charles sort of like skids in at the very end is like, oh, I figured it all out <laughs> in, yeah. in my own head yeah. and came to peace with it while you were doing something I asked you not to do. Yeah. Well, well, didn't ask him not to do. Sure. You, you put it, you know, you saw that I was struggling and you decided to fix it, which I did not ask you to do. Yeah. But I didn't not ask you to do it. I just didn't ask you to do it. And that's and then, sort of the master. I didn't ask of... you not to do it. I just didn't ask you to do it. And exactly. so you went ahead and did it. Yeah. And now, <laughs> and now this man is being deported and you can't just undo that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you, you overstepped the bounds of friendship. And which was also an interesting thing. talk for them to have is like sometimes you want your friends just to listen to you and hear you and they jump to trying to fix it for you. And most friends 
you know, when you're not living in a sitcom, when you're living a normal <laughs> life and that happens, it's usually verbal. It's yeah. usually, well, have you thought about this or what about that? Or you could do this. Uh, it's not generally, well, I'll just go have this man deported for you. He's bothering you. <laughs> so because comedy, Maybe not as you said, you. Jake does the thing. He uh-huh. doesn't just talk about it or throw out options. But the point is still made by Charles that, you know, I didn't want you to fix it. It's not your job to fix it. It's not your place to fix it. I was just talking to you about what was bothering me. Your job was to yeah. listen. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's so great about this show is they brought two pretty heavy themes to one episode, adoption Mm -hmm. and friendship, and managed to like interweave them in this really compelling way Mm -hmm. in a 22 and a half minute episode. And that's what I mean when I say that the very special episodes don't feel like very special episodes the way they would stick out in another show, because I feel like I think people, and in particular this week, Slate.com, are not giving the show its due. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're not they're not paying attention to how this show actually operates. Yeah. It really is dealing with things as deeply as the good place does, which is not surprising given that sure. you know Mike Sure created both, or at least co created. Um, it's just it it's the same thing where big issues are wrapped in comedy and unless you're looking for it you might not realize yeah. that you're also getting a a bit of an education you're yeah. learning about friendship and how it should and shouldn't operate you're thinking about cuz if you're not adopted and no one in your family is adopted and you don't have any friends who either have given someone up for adoption or have been adopted that may not be part of your world or something you think about yeah but families that deal with adoption and I've had a few friends who either were adopted or had adopted or were both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have one friend in particular who I believe <laughs> listens to this, who, Hello, um, friend. hi Lisa, <laughs> uh, both is adopted. And also when she was young, gave a child up for adoption. And so that creates a whole lot of questions that you deal with the rest of your life. Yeah. And you know, we don't think about that and I also think what what is real family and what is not depends on your situation. I think for most adopted people, the family that raised them is the real family. Sure. And the other family is the birth family. But yeah. then there are people who meet the birth family, especially if they didn't have a great experience growing up in the adoptive family, which hopefully most do, but if you didn't, if you then meet the birth family and that goes well, then that's a whole other thing that you have to reconcile. Yeah. You know, so it's, and I, I, I liked that they brought this up and they, they bring these issues up and you can think about them while you enjoy a 22 minute comedy. And then maybe some of that thinking will stay with you the next time you're, you know, dealing with, with your friend who's having a problem or talking to your friend who's been adopted or whatever. And family is just such a big theme of shows like this. Anyway, Mm -hmm. not just the ones we've talked about, but lots of shows, even the ones that take place in a workplace are, family type shows and oh, yeah. one of the fun runners in Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the fact that like all three of the other like male characters in the um, detective squad are sometimes sort of father figures for Jake like mm-hmm. they are they are older men who can serve as examples for him and by extension somebody like me for whom Jake is sort of a viewpoint character like they're examples of different kinds of masculinity and yeah. like how you can be a man, but in 
more of like a 21st century mold because they're not typical like bullshit John Wayne tough guy assholes. Mm-hmm. They're well, and, like and more Jake, complicated than that. Well, Jake has a very problematic relationship with his father. Absolutely. A father who was mostly not in his life. I also would like to say about that, I find it refreshing that they gave the male character the daddy issues because so yeah. often it's the girl. Yeah. Um, and which always translates into, you know, problematic dating things. Yeah. Lots of us, myself included, had perfectly <laughs> lovely, have perfectly lovely relationships with our fathers. Um, and then there are lots of men who don't. And it's, it's nice to see how often this show flips the gender expectations. That's true. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Jake at some point accidentally called Holt dad. <laughs> oh, that happened a lot. Did in, it? Like okay. seasons, I want to say sort of two through four area. Like in the beginning, I feel like it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, I honestly can't remember because this is the, this is the downside of rewatching a show really, really fast is this oh, season. It blurs together. It blurs yeah. together a bit. Like I can't remember, you know, what day of the week it was or anything, but there was <laughs> the first thing that, the first time he had like a big win and Holt was like super proud of him. He th- thanks dad. Like this just very casual. Oh, yeah. slip up. And then it became sort of a comedy bit. And mm-hmm. I feel like it might've done it 10 times before season five. Oh wow. Okay. Like it definitely happened a bunch. And there were also times when he did it sort of on purpose as it, like the character was doing a bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I like that they have sort of played with that with both Jake and Amy of mm-hmm. him being their father figure. Yeah, um, and but with Amy, it's definitely more of a mentor because we yes. also know that Amy Amy has six or seven brothers. Something like that. I think she's one of seven, so I think it's six brothers. Yeah, and a dad. She's the um, only girl in her family. She's got a, so she is not hurting for male role models. <laughs> um, but she definitely... Amy has aspirations, and we know that from day one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She, she's a detective already, and she's fairly young. Mm-hmm. And I think we're told at some point that she was the youngest to make detective. At that um, um, precinct is my recollection. At that, yeah, she's yeah. the youngest female detective at the 9-9. Yeah. Um, and she clearly wants to move up to captain someday. She's already, spoiler, mm-hmm. guys, moved up to sergeant. <laughs> yep. Uh, Rocking the uniform. Yeah, which is interesting because Terry is also a sergeant. He does not wear the uniform. Well, because he's on the detective squad and she's in the uniform oh, squad. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, she's in charge of the uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that does make sense when I think about <laughs> it. But, but yeah, her what she's looking for from Holt, I think, is less father figure and more mentor. Absolutely. Like yeah. she, she wants to learn everything she possibly can. Mm-hmm. She also wants to be his favorite. Yes, very much <laughs> But I so. feel like Amy wants to be the favorite of whoever's in power. And I, I do love the way Melissa plays her of just the sort of like, I don't know how to say it more complexly than this, but just her eyes are always full of hopefulness. You know, like whenever there's a moment of like, you know, what what you might call kissing up or what have you, like she just has so much energy focused towards her goals. And like she is just sort of giddy with, I want to do this thing in a lot of scenes. And I find those sort of moments of performance really compelling when there's, it, it's not just a comedic thing. It's, you know, her, her like vibrating with excitement moments. Yeah. And she often, you know, she wants praise. Yes. Because that's her measure of whether she's done something right or done yes. it well. So mm-hmm. yes, we definitely see 
see that in her all the time, especially with Holt. Like, but she, mm-hmm. she, nothing makes her happier than him telling her she's done a good job in some way. Yeah. You know, which fair enough, you know, as, <laughs> <laughs> as character flaws go, that's not a terrible one. Wanting to be really superlatively good at what you do is a pretty good characteristic. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, it's another way that they play against gender stereotypes where we see Amy openly wanting recognition, mm-hmm. like wanting to be the best at her job and wanting recognition for it. And we tend to find that distasteful in women. Yeah. That does um, seem to be a, a thing. Not, that, not in know. Amy, but mm-hmm. you know, when a woman is ambitious, it's, not necessarily seen as a positive and this show lets it be a positive that Amy's ambition and her need for professional recognition are, are good things and endearing things about her. Whereas we, we don't think twice about a man doing a good job and expecting to be recognized for it. Yeah. But with, with Amy, it's, it's out at the forefront and it's very clear that the writers are supportive of it. You know, it's it's not played for comedy in the way that it could be. It's often played for comedy, but not in because a padded, she pat on so the head badly way. wants it. Yeah, it's it's never it's never played for comedy at her expense. Yeah, and so I think she and Rosa both sort of share that attribute of like these are police officers who are very good at what they do. Yes, like that those are that's a core aspect of their characters. It yeah. also is for Jake and Terry and some mm-hmm. of the other people. Holt, obviously, but it's not like they're sort of they're an elite squad first and mm-hmm. then secondary demographic characteristic second. If you will. Well, we, we don't make the women prove that they're good. We just assume that they are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's a better yeah. way of saying what I was trying to say. Um, but if you don't mind, I wanted to loop back to the masculinity thing real quick because I was thinking mm-hmm. about Terry Cruz. Terry loves yogurt. That's very true. Um, And he also loves the absolute crap out of his daughters. He does. And I think that it's kind of, it's a very this moment in time thing to see somebody who is physically built like Terry Mm -hmm. to show as much emotional vulnerability as Terry shows. Yeah. Both the um, actor and the character. I mean, Terry like has cried on the show. He has looked mm -hmm. ridiculous on the show. He has made an absolute fool out of himself on the show Mm -hmm. in a way that let's just say muscle bound stars of previous eras would not have allowed themselves to, I mean, can you imagine Sly Stallone playing a part like this? Maybe now, but in the seventies or eighties when he was, you know, like at his height, like I, I feel like the rock would. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I <laughs> think has. he's in that same car- or, um, category, yeah. pardon me, of um, somebody who can pull off mm-hmm. like an emotional range uh, from within a giant stack of muscles. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're they're sort of comparable that way. But yeah, it's, sure, sure. It's, I love the characterization of Terry mm-hmm. because he is the big muscle bound guy. And it would be very obvious for him to be the example of toxic masculinity. And he's not. Yeah. And like, this is a show that I would, I don't myself have kids, but I have, um, sort of quote unquote nephews and little cousins. And I would absolutely be comfortable with them looking to the men on this show as role models of like, these are the kind of man you could grow up to be given all of their qualities and all of their flaws. Well, maybe not Hitchcock and Scully. Yeah. Well, within the primary, but the others, (laughs) the others, um, yeah. One of my favorite things about Terry is the fact that he named his daughters Cagney and Lacey. I love that. Which is, you know, that's one of the first female-led cop shows. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm, I'm sure that if I were to go back and watch it now that I would find problematic sexism at every term. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Um, cause I've, I've, have not seen any of it in a very long time. And I certainly have not seen all of it. Like it used to sometimes be in reruns after school when I was a child. Yeah. I've never Um, seen that show. So I just know it as a reference point. Oh, but it's, it's very much, it's two. It was, uh, Sharon Glass and Tyne Daly. Although a fun fact, the original Cagney was not Sharon Glass. It was Meg Foster in season one. She was replaced by Sharon Glass. Um, but as, as female, detectives sort of you know elite detectives they're partners and they investigate stuff together and it was you know it it wasn't super sexy charlie's angels it Mm -hmm. was two actual serious female cops investigating actual crime so they built it more as a cop's first lady second as opposed to other shows of that era where they might have been ladies first cop second? That's my understanding and memory of it. Okay. Without having gone back and watched it. Okay. Um, but yes, it was not. There's a bit, like, if you look at the posters for Cagney and Lacey and you look at the posters for Charlie's Angels, you'll see what I mean in there terms of how, how different it was. Um, but it has delighted me from episode one of Brooklyn Nine-Nine when we learn the twin girls' names that he named them Cagney and Lacey or he and his <laughs> wife named them Cagney and Lacey. Like yeah. it's wonderful. Um, and we, we periodically see the twins and sometimes he has them dressed up in little cop uniforms and sometimes, <laughs> he, you know, like it's just, he, yeah. he's portrayed as a really good, really involved dad Yeah, who has a happy marriage yeah. to his wife. Like he really, I, I love how they've written Terry. Yeah. And I think Holtz is sort of in the same category of like, Mm -hmm. you know, he has had, you know, his challenges with his partner, Kevin, or pardon me, I didn't mean partner in a reducing way. I just husband general, but his husband, um, yes, no, I know it was just Mm -hmm. a slip of the brain. Um, Mm -hmm. but the, the idea of like showing a successful married couple in a leadership role who like talk about the issues that they have sometimes and go through things together, Mm -hmm. like, you wouldn't get that in like a gruff captainy kind of character in a cop show, even, you know, 10 years ago, let alone, you know, decades ago. The idea that the, the leader of a squad like this can be super complex mm-hmm. and, and you wouldn't have a lot get of interiority. It, you wouldn't get it on every network. Like you would never yeah. see this on CBS. Yeah. They wouldn't touch it, yeah. which is ludicrous, but that's what that's CBS for you. Yeah. Um, Fox has always been a little more not Fo- Fox News is its own thing, <laughs> but but the side of Fox that makes television programs <laughs> that makes the, like the fiction side. Scripted. Um, well, yeah, that's the not a distinction either. Has, no, because yeah, but you know the the people who have given us The Simpsons and Party of Five and The X Files and and now Brooklyn Nine Nine, <laughs> those people are much more evolved and have always. I mean, Fox was was the young network when I was growing up. It was the new one because it had been the yeah. big three. Like I, 20th Century Fox like happened in my lifetime. <laughs> um, and it, it was the one pushing the envelope back in the day. Yeah. Like it, it was the new edgy network. It was the IFC of its day. Um, so it's, you, you wouldn't, I mean, I guess we've learned you would see this on NBC, <laughs> but <laughs> but I don't think you would on, on CBS and ABC is questionable. So, yeah, it's not something you see everywhere, and it's really it's really nice to see. And if, if you look at 
this show. Like I'm sort of struck by the fact that we we have two happy marriages represented. Yeah, that's more where from I was the beginning. To go. Yeah, like we have Holt and Kevin. Yeah, and then we have Terry and his mostly off screen, but occasionally we see her wife Sharon. Yeah, and now more recently we also we have Jake and Amy. Yeah, very absolutely. early in their marriage. And the other person that we have almost completely neglected to talk about, which is just, I mean, almost a crime, is Chelsea Peretti. I feel like we were saving the best for last. Oh, well, of course. That's <laughs> what we were definitely doing on purpose. <laughs> uh, she's definitely, like, even even within a highly talented comedic cast, I mean, you've got a member of the state here, she's mm-hmm. definitely, like, the person who is doing the most bits and, like, character doing things for laughs and for her own amusement definitely yeah if, <laughs> if this show needed comic relief which it does not because it's full of comedy um yes. she would be it but yeah i think she's the one like you said it, it's really i mean they they all do it to some extent with like their halloween treasure hunts and things oh yeah i love um, those episodes so much yeah but i mean there's there's a halloween heist every season mm-hmm. uh but for sure chelsea's character gina is the one who is constantly doing a bit oh damn (laughs) oh damn (laughs) did you just oh damn gina yourself (laughs) yes i did (laughs) i just i I loved her especially more towards the beginning where she was like more aggressively trying to be a trendsetter and like make a Mm -hmm. name for herself and i don't even know if that was really so much of a thing in whatever 2012, 13, 14 of like trying to make yourself into a social media personality. Oh, she was definitely trying to become, or perhaps already was an influencer. Yes. That's Um, because she, she refers to all of her (laughs) followers and how she Mm -hmm. has to, you know, show them things. And she's a cult leader in her own time. She is. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, just a fantastic performance by someone who's also very talented stand-up um she has a thing Mm -hmm. a netflix special and maybe more than one i can't remember now but um yeah at least one comedian yeah um and definitely willing to do anything for a laugh (laughs) um i think she's probably the wackiest character yeah yeah Yeah, Um, but you need that because in that heightened world Mm -hmm. you have to be pretty out there to be wacky that's true if you think about it you know, I mean, we've got Hitchcock and Scully who there's nothing they won't eat and nothing they won't do at their desks. We've watched them clip their toenails. We like those guys are gross. Um, <laughs> and they're sort of the I mean, if we were comparing it to Parks and Rec, they're kind of they're kind of the Jerry of this office. I suppose so. In a lot of ways. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about that. I don't know, because Jerry like is I mean, they are the butt of jokes or I should say the they receive a lot of ire from the other characters. But mm-hmm. as we talked about before, Jim O'Hare plays him with such a sweetness and like a misunderstoodness that I don't know that Scully and Hitchcock have that same quality. Like they um, seem to legitimately be a little bit monstrous. And Jerry was but, always just like, couldn't help himself. But I don't think they know they're monstrous is the thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think. That was a bad Hitch- time to drink water, folks. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's okay. Chris is not going to drown or anything. He's, he's, he's Um, all right now. Um, not sure. I a hundred percent agree with that, but that is fair. (laughs) Well, what I mean is I think they're generally fairly well-meaning. Um, they're not trying to upset anyone. (laughs) I think they're aware that some of their time wasting and, you know, excessive eating and such is not the greatest. 
But I do think that they're also, they're kind of in their own little world with the two of them. Yeah. And they're, I don't think they intend harm most of the time. It would actually be interesting Um, to see like a more, I don't know how to like verbalize what I'm thinking, but an episode sort of in the magical realism of those two characters, like how they view the world would be an interesting experiment. Like, because we sort of see them from the outside, from an objective mm-hmm. viewpoint, sure. but you know, like a, a viewpoint episode from those two characters where like people are saying, people are actually saying what they think they're saying. And I, I don't know, I'm not explaining this Maybe. well. I mean, we, we learned quite a lot about them this season in that flashback That's episode. True. Yeah. The flashback but episode was fantastic. An, an episode from their point of view at this point in time, yeah, might be very interesting. Maybe we'll get that in season seven. Yeah, um, since we know they've been renewed for season yes, seven, which is amazing. Did you see the video when they told the cast? I did see that. Yeah, and it's I always, online. I always, I always enjoy those and think they're a little like sort of prank adjacent. More so the good place one that we talked about, but just the idea of like, okay, just tell people when you know things. There, this is a job too, <laughs> and they have well, to and worry I, about their mortgages. But I think they did. I think they like they really did come in and tell them as soon as they yeah knew. No, no, no criticism um, intended. Yeah, and the the good place is that's maybe a little bit more prank adjacent because I assume you're referring to the video where they tell them oh the yeah twist at the end of season one yeah. yeah. But also, we know there were very good reasons why they couldn't be told ahead of time because it would have affected the way they played things. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, the secret may have gotten out. I mean, it's astounding that it didn't because we now know that Ted Danson told everybody he ran into. He tried his damnness to get that secret out. (laughs) Somehow, I guess not enough of his friends are on Twitter. (laughs) It Somehow, it didn't go out into the larger Uh world beyond people he knew. Um, and I don't know that he told anyone that it was a secret even, or that he knew <laughs> that it was, but um, we are, yeah, but it's, it's a delightful video where they're told that they've been picked up. Yeah. It was really sweet. Um, yeah. we are coming up on an hour here. We sure are. And though we could do this for as many hours as the show itself ran, if not more, uh, I think we should do like a quick lightning round of supporting casts. Okay. And I'm just going to throw out some names of awesome people. Okay. That the the folks who uh, are listening, if you somehow made it past all the spoilers alerts <laughs> and decided <laughs> that wanted to listen anyway and aren't convinced, here are other people who have been in the show. Hmm. I don't um, know how much plot we've given away anyway, so. Exactly. Um, yeah. Jason Manzoukas, one of my yes. absolute favorites as Adrian Pimento. Yes. <laughs> his, uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say his... His ability to get hired onto things and like, this is scripted, you're going to improvise. Yeah, I, I he's just, insane. I love that that's become his thing. <laughs> Every character he plays is absolutely insane. Maximum Derek. Maximum Derek. Um, uh, Bradley Whitford as Jake Peralta's dad. Masterful. Yeah, and Jimmy Smits as Amy's dad. The two of them together in that episode, they, it was a Thanksgiving episode where they first met. Right? It was, yeah. When they end up in the hospital and just sort of laughing at what a mess life is. Yes. I, <laughs> I had trouble watching kind of the dinner scene because I saw what was going to happen with the turkey carving. I was like, oh, oh, someone's going to cut something off. Of and course. Then, of course he did. Which um, though, that that is a particular thing that I do not enjoy watching. Yeah, I'm not crazy about that either. Yeah. Um, Kira Sedgwick has also, seems like she hasn't been on recently, but she was uh, Captain Holt's nemesis. 
for a while, while. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She had quite an arc. Um, also, Alison Tolman was his nemesis. The next last person year. I was going to mention. She's yeah. fantastic. She's wonderful. Um, currently, she's recurring on uh, the NBC show Good Girls. Oh, okay. With Christina Hendricks and uh, Retta and Mae Whitman. Mm-hmm. Retta, another person from the Mike Shoreverse uh, <laughs> from Parks and Rec. Um, yeah, really, she's really doing some some amazing work. And um, she had her own show for a while that was sadly canceled called uh, Downward Dog. Yeah. And it, which really was a, a delightful show. And I wish it had run longer. Um, and one th- I, I hope she won't mind me saying as if she'll ever hear this. But one thing that I particularly <laughs> enjoyed about her having her own show and that I particularly enjoy now every time I see her on TV is that she's she's a normal looking person. Sure. And it was refreshing to see someone who wasn't a supermodel, like, you know, who probably eats lunch once in a while, um, (laughs) get their own show. It's just it's just nice to see actual people represented on television sometimes. That's fair. Um, I also wanted to shout out her her performances in Fargo, of course, uh, Mm -hmm. and on uh, Andrew Savage's show, I'm Sorry, which just wrapped up as we're recording this. I just watched the um, season finale, which she featured heavily in, and she was fantastic. I am hoping that Canadian Netflix will pick that up so that I can watch it. Because I do like Andrea Savage quite a bit. Yes. Well, Netflix Canada has a different catalog than, like every country has its own licensing, Mm -hmm. right? And its own catalog. And um, that's a show that I'm not able, we don't have true TV to my knowledge in Canada. If we do, it's a channel we have to pay for. And I think that's what she's on. Yeah. Um, But I'm hoping that, because we get a lot of stuff on Netflix that you guys don't get on Netflix. Yeah. uh, Because you have it on Hulu or whatever. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's finish this up here. I want to talk about Craig Robinson real quick and the whole Pontiac <laughs> bandit. Doug Judy. Doug Judy. Um, he, he's just like one of the most charismatic actors. You kind of he's get why so Jake good. falls for it every time, right? Oh, I, I always so go through lovely. that same journey of like, I want to believe he's really yeah, being sincere. He's so time. lovely, but he's just always a criminal. <laughs> like he's always scamming him, but you want him. He's such a teddy bear. Like you really want. Yeah. You want him to be good. Yeah. And then this uh, this year with Nicole Byer playing his sister. She was fantastic, too. She really was. The two of them together were a lot of fun. Um, so many amazing guest star people. I just don't want this episode to last forever, so I'm trying to scan no, for, but like, Katie Segal, who are people we can't as, not talk about. She's great. Yeah, as Karen Peralta, Jake's mom. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, trying to see. I think that that's... We mentioned Danny Trejo. Did mention Danny Trejo. Um, yeah. Trying to see if anybody else super jumps out at me, and I, they're just I I feel bad picking any one name off this list yeah. as if it is the one that deserves to be talking about. I'm currently scrolling through Wikipedia, and it's just so many people that you and I like from a million other things like yeah. PFT or you know anybody yeah. from the sort of <laughs> yeah. comedy world that you and I are yes, both Paul F. Tompkins as the as the cruise ship captain that time was very good uh-huh. um, um, I, I wish they'd given him a little more to do like I would have course. liked him to have a couple of extra scenes and, and I think he has said that quite publicly as well he's made it Twitter. known on Twitter that like, he would be bring happy me to back, back to the show and if, if NBC is listening I support that um, and the, yeah. you know we, we didn't want to go fully down the rabbit hole but I think Mark Evan Jackson does merit a shout out as Kevin all um, the shouts out if, if I had one note for this show it would be needs more Kevin yeah because I really enjoy the scenes where he and um, Holt are together, like where 
where they play off each other. Yeah. The, the episode with the pie, for instance. I don't even know if the word dry really like begins to encompass what they're doing. Like I, I can't mm-hmm. describe their performance adequately as a non-actor. It's just fantastic to watch them together. They're, yeah. It's very, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause it, uh, from the outside, yeah, dry is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it's it's something that's sort of it's weirdly low key while being high key. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like it there's is, so much like, going on, but it's so controlled. Yeah, that's maybe a better way to. There's there's an intensity. It's not like it, it's mm-hmm. very compelling. It's not like nothing's happening. But it's, it's also very intense. small and contained. Yeah. Because they'll have a fight that you don't realize they're having a fight. Yes. And and they know because a particular word was used. And that's mm-hmm. only a word he uses when he's angry. And that's sort of um, become a classic under Brower thing on this show. It's like, mm-hmm. can't you tell I'm laughing my ass off? Can't you tell I'm furious? Can't you tell I'm weeping? Yes. Like, can't you tell I'm using contractions? Yep, exactly. Well, that was <laughs> yeah, a major must, plot point, like, by the way, of like it a heist was. sequence. Exactly. He was using, you know, uh, Andy figured out that he was using contractions. And Captain Holt never uses contractions. That means something was wrong. Exactly. And that's, um, that I, was like his, like the equivalent of Leonard Nimoy and Spock's arched eyebrow. Like yeah. when you're playing a role in a very specific way, any deviation becomes mm-hmm. incredibly important. But if, if you know that character well, you'll see it. Exactly. Um, but I, I just, I do want to give a mention of the episode Safe House from last season. Yes. Which is the one where, um, you know, Holt has sort of, he's... In trouble. He's fallen in with a criminal to save Jake and Rosa to get them out of prison. Yeah. And now he sort of owes a favor. And yeah, he gets he gets in trouble. I'm trying not to, you know, have to do a blow by blow that people have to listen to. But basically his husband, Kevin, is threatened mm-hmm. and they have to take Kevin and stash him in a safe house. And Jake goes with him and brings and the, all of his Nick Cage movies. <laughs> And never shows him <laughs> Captain Curly's mandolin. <laughs> and, and Kevin is furious about it. He's him. so mad about it when he finds out that there were things that were not like Ghost Rider. <laughs> um, I mean, first of all, anyone who knows me well is aware of my aversion to Nicolas Cage movies in general. It's not personal, but I'm not On a fan. On next month's Crush Chat Show, Nicolas Cage. I'm not, I'm just not a fan of his acting. I, I, there have been a couple of things that I've enjoyed, but for the most part, it's just, it's not, it's not for me. And that's, I enjoy that people like him, that's fine, but it's not for me. So I, I found that sort of hilarious that of all mm-hmm. the movies to end up like, I would not want to be stuck in a house for months with only Nicolas Cage movies to watch. I understand how that's torture that's so <laughs> for funny. some people. Um, but I, I have a particular fondness for the scene where they uh, put on disguises and go to the yes. library. That was traumatic to watch. <laughs> it was, it was great, but it was just, Oh my gosh, this is, uh, I don't want to see them like this. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Kevin demonstrating that he has now unfortunately learned how to clap back. Yeah. Um, he, just, he grew a lot in that month or whatever it was. Yeah. Being. And I think that's, that's one of the last times we've seen him, if not the last. Yeah. I can't uh, remember. And that, that's why I feel like needs more Kevin. We need to catch up with Kevin. 
Absolutely. after that whole debacle. And I also um, think so. I should, hope we'll see him in season six. We should put out into the universe by way of closing, if it's all right with you, that mm-hmm. uh, on the Good Place the podcast, Mark sort of teased the idea that they might do a Brooklyn Nine Nine the podcast yes. by dropping a couple of those episodes. And yeah. we would just like to both say as emphatically as possible to whatever powers there are, we would <laughs> like that very much to happen. Um, to to sort of. Uh, take off a phrase from Sadie Doyle of Thrilling Adventure Hour I would listen to that show Well, we hope you enjoyed our dissection of Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> Nine-Nine <laughs> Nine-Nine Toy, noise <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chris, what, what would you like to plug for the nice people this month? Um, well, I have sort of an, I don't know if we call it an inverse plug, uh, a thing that I'm announcing that I'm no longer doing, if anybody's interested. Okay. Um, sure. For a, a while, almost three years, uh, I ran a Twitter account for the Jackie and Lori show podcast and it was a super blast, but I'm trying to focus more on doing this podcast and other writing things. And so, uh, this It'll be two weeks ago when this is recording. I stopped doing that. Uh, so somebody else will be taking over the Twitter duties for Jackie and Lori, and I don't know who that is because they don't, and they're under no obligation to tell me at this point anyway. <laughs> um, but it was a really amazing experience, and I love those ladies, and everybody should follow them and follow their comedy and all the amazing stuff they do. Buy books, buy albums, go see live shows, just in general. Be be a fan. It's It's great to be a fan. <laughs> Um, but if anybody um, knows about me from that, thank you for following me over from JLS. Yeah. Um, also, I believe Jackie and Lori have recently joined the Max Fun Network. Also true. So find them there. Uh, unfortunately, by the time this drops, Max Fun Drive will be over. <laughs> but uh, as we're recording, they're still right in the middle of their annual fundraising campaign. And and well, if you were to donate to them after Max Fun Drive, you would not get your fun gift uh, it's still a great time to donate to a podcast network that uh, treats its employees very fairly and where the money actually goes where you think it should. Yeah. And I, so that's let's my just, plug for uh, Max Fun. Put this out into the universe a little bit. A podcast network we wouldn't mind being a part of if it ever came to that down the line. We would certainly not say no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have we have several um, sort of pod, podcast friends on pod, that network, shall we pals. say. <laughs> Pod pals, podcasts we enjoy, mm-hmm. and in some cases, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is is there anything of your own, though, or uh, any non-reverse plugs that um, you have yeah. or anything else you want to cover? Twitter and Instagram, Chris M. Royce. Website is ChristopherRoyce.com. Um, I should probably build myself a little bit of accountability for our legion of fans that uh, <laughs> I'm working... All 24 of them. <laughs> I'm working on a, <clears throat> excuse me, a short story slash maybe a couple of short stories that I'm trying to get done for this summer. So I will keep saying that out loud and hopefully people will like tweet at me and be annoying about it so they will finish it. Uh, the mm-hmm. title at the moment is called Consent of the Governed. It's a political thriller kind of thingy. So look for Ooh. that hopefully soon. <laughs> uh, what would you like to tell the fine folks about? Uh, well, uh, at Stevie KJ on Twitter and Instagram, as always. And uh, as always, you know, I'm going to plug my web series, Honestly, Charlotte. Oh, you have a web uh, we series? Were I have a web series. Didn't you know? <laughs> I talk about it incessantly. Uh, we 
recently we're in our first festival in McMinnville, Oregon, and Yay. we just got uh, another notification of an acceptance. So thank you, Hollywood Dreams uh, Festival. We look forward to being part of that. If you are not at a festival, you can watch <laughs> the whole series right now at honestlycharlotte.com. Go now. It's, it's six episodes plus a pilot. Um, so seven all told you don't need the pilot to appreciate the rest of the show, but I recommend it. And if you super like it, please, uh, share it with your friends and also consider buying a t-shirt or a hat or a dog bandana or a tote bag from our merch store, which you can also find at honestlycharlotte.com and tweet at me and tell me what you thought. Nice things only, please. I prefer it. (laughs) (laughs) Even constructive criticism, not super useful at this point in the process. (laughs) No, we already made the show. (laughs) Season one, anyway, it's not going to change. Uh, But we thank everybody for listening. And uh, we have a couple of, we're not going to tease specifically, but a couple of exciting episodes hopefully coming your way soon. So Mm -hmm. subscribe if you're not and say subscribed if you are. Yes. And uh, we will talk to you next month. Talent Crush Chat Show podcast is written, edited, and produced by Christopher Royce and Stevie Jackson. Show notes, social media links, and more can be found at talentcrushchatshow.tumblr.com. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to help more people discover the show. If you want us to give you some unreliable advice, send us an email at talentcrushchatshow at gmail.com.